Hello, this is the Trainer Tools podcast and I'm John Tomlinson and I want to start today by asking for a favour. If you listen to this podcast, and quite a few people do, then please go to iTunes, give us a really good five-star review because that makes a real difference to the visibility of this podcast. Thank you and no further ado, straight into this month's podcast. I'm here today with Claire Simmons. Hi, Claire. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to speak to you, John. And you. And you come from a, a company called NewFuture.me. And I'm I'm raising this because you're not actually from a typical L&D background like most people are on this podcast. Right. So do you want to just sort of say what your background is and, and why, you're, why you're here today? Sure. NewFuture.me are a career management consultancy. And most career management consultancies are really focused on, you know, this is where you apply for jobs. This is what a great CV looks like. This is where interview technique, you know, how your interview technique comes about and how you do really well at interview. But we try and take a step back from that and actually look about how you cope with the change that you're going through. Because if you haven't dealt with the change that's making you look for a new job whether it's because you choose to do so or you're being made redundant that if your head's not in the right space and you can't cope with change no matter how good your CV is you're never going to be able to sell yourself effectively at interview so our focus is really on the change side as well as the career management side and that's really what I thought would be useful to share with your audience. Right okay so it's really about from our point of view, looking at it from an L&D perspective or from a, a trainer perspective, how are you applying it to that world? So it's looking at, as trainers, how you cope in times of change and when you're having to train out some quite difficult change-related topics, how you maintain your own resilience and look after yourself in those really difficult times. Because at the end of the day, you're having to be the, the, you know, the front of the business and really showing about how wonderful these changes are. And for some of you, those might be changes that you haven't necessarily bought into or believe in yourself. And that can put you as a trainer in some quite quite a difficult place. No, yeah, absolutely. Being a trainer, it can be quite a lonely business. And um, as you say, you can be getting involved with projects that you don't, that, 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 where there is just a whole negative for the for the people that you're working with. And it does, it does chip away at your resilience to use your phrase that we talked about before and and it can be quite difficult it, it is a lonely business absolutely and we're often traveling as well so that kind of there's a physical cost to that but then there's also that kind of getting to your hotel room in the evening stare at the wall of the travel lodge and yes. feeling like alan partridge it was the kind of how do you cope with all that stuff absolutely so there absolutely. is a kind of a, a, an emotional fitness side of it as well yeah that's it because you know it's the own, you know, organizations, especially after the recession, only spend money on training people in things that have to happen. So there's a real priority and it's a bit of a fait accompli by the time you're training it out that this is happening and that's an end of it. So, you know, and some organizations are much better at communicating why the change is happening than others. So for some people, you know, you might suddenly be given a training course to roll out and this is the first you've ever heard of this initiative happening. So it can it can really put trainers in a difficult, difficult time. Yeah, and even change that's well managed, if it can still be a negative change, or at least negative for some of the people there. So even well managed change is still sometimes quite difficult to be involved in the training. 
That's it. We're, we're teaching you about a great new system, and the result of this great new system is probably if there's 20 people in the room, five of those 20 delegates are going to lose their job as a result of it. So, you know, yeah. people in the room will appreciate that that's, you know, that's what's going to happen. And, you know, to, to keep upbeat and positive yourself while putting the company spin on things can be, can be really challenging. So how are you going to take us through this? Do you have like a model to work with, or how are you going to talk us through your, your approach? I think one of the things to, to, to think about is, you know, some of the basic things that we probably already train out as trainers, some of the, the models that, that we use, and, and even simple things like how many of us have been in a training session, maybe talking about change, and we've looked at the change curve. And I'm sure the change curve is something that we're all very familiar with and the emotions yeah, there. Yeah, of course, yeah. The Kubler-Ross thing. Absolutely. Um, and we'll, I'm sure John will pop a, a picture of that up somewhere on the, the website for the guys. I was doing the, I was doing it with my hands then, just, <laughs> but, but I realised that's not very effective, is it? You saw it. <laughs> so, um, but just some of the emotions that go through that, and I always, you know, when I'm training out to our group, I actually take a, po a moment while they're reflecting on it to reflect on it myself and think, well. Where am I sitting today on the change curve? Am I in a good place? Am I not in a good place? Um, am I potentially on the, on the slippy slope myself? And how can I get myself back into a better place? So I always think, you know, just, just reflecting on the change curve is always a really good place just to start. And then at least you know, have you got a lot of work to do? Have you got a little bit of work to do? And if you have, how are you going to get yourself to, to where you need to be? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And also, I think it's worth reflecting that where you are on the change curve is not necessarily where other people are on the change curve. And certainly the people you're training or, you know, or working with are probably going to be in quite a different place on that change curve as well. Absolutely. So, but, but just looking at it from a trainer's perspective, you know, how can you look after yourself better? And also the fact that we get so wrapped up in actually delivering and we feel the pressure to deliver that we do we take the time to actually make sure that we're in the best place to deliver so are we looking after ourselves or are we running around you know running from hotel to hotel not eating well because you've got to get on the next train to the next venue where you're going to be training the next day and it's all those little things that over time really wear us down and as much as we don't realize that they're having an impact on us, they can have a significant impact on both our physical and mental well-being. And we're, you know, we notice things like, oh, our skin's not looking that great or my nails are breaking. You know, all these physical manifestations are quite obvious to us. And, you know, don't brush that under the carpet because it can have mental implications as well. And I'm by no means a mental health expert. But there is an element that you have to look after your mental health as well as your physical health. Well, do you want to talk us through what, what kind of tools that you've got for that or what kind of things that you advise in your consultancy? I think one of the places that we start is by saying you've all dealt with, with significant change in the past. And one of the exercises I like to reflect on is how did you cope with that change that you've already been through? So, you know, what is your post-personal um, coping strategy? And even something simple like taking two examples of when you've coped well with change and reflecting on them, seeing the patterns, the, the common themes, you know, who did you, whose help did you get, who did you talk things with, through with, did you, did you speak about it to other people or, or was it more a case that you were reflecting on it? And that's your personal style is that you're more reflective. 
Um, so take two examples and, and analyze them and then compare it to an example of a time where you didn't cope with change as well and just see what you did differently that time and you know just simple things to actually say well this is my strategy because once you've got your strategy you know what you need to um, start deploying. So it's really kind of a coaching approach. Absolutely. I'm really just talking people through that when the couple of examples as you said then of when they've coped well and a couple of when they haven't coped so well but understanding what the difference was. Absolutely because I think self-realization is a huge part of this and it's one of those journeys that you have to go on yourself. Nobody else can take you through it. So, so for people to come to their own conclusions is really powerful in our experience. You, you, the examples you're using are, are around change. And you're, you, because of the business you're in, you're talking about when people are changing in jobs quite often without, when they don't want to. Absolutely. Which can be quite traumatic. But a lot of what we're dealing with as trainers is not quite the same thing. It's not really where we're experiencing change so much. It's just that our job is stressful, our job is lonely, our job is being on the road. Does this apply in the same way? And I think it does because one of the things that we see um, with many clients is that they, they say they want to change their job and part of them really, really love their job. And then, and it might be things like the travel or the pressure that the business puts on them. And there's a, we can deal with a lot of pressure, but only if we're looking after ourselves. So how do we look after ourselves? When have you looked after yourself well and it's been a success and you've coped with a situation, whether it's, you know, a lot of travel or a heavy workload or a tight deadline compared to when it's maybe not gone so well and reflect on why it didn't go so well and what you didn't do what was different between the two scenarios right and what what the kind of you mentioned coping strategies then or coping styles of, uh -huh. um, what are, are there any kind of particular ones is there a model that you use in order to describe those um there's there's various ways of looking at it um and just to start off with some of the basics you know there's there's the physical things you know are you getting exercise are you sleeping well are you eating well and you know just start with them and then take things forward to the more more cerebral things so if if we look at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs for instance are you managing to cover off you know what level are you on the pyramid and you know what else do you need to put in place to to get you higher up or make you more comfortable in the position that you're in so sorry John that might be a huge tangent there but I'm not sure if it was no, no, not at all, not at all. I was just thinking I, uh, about what you're saying about the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and so you, you would start at the bottom and thinking about well, you talk about the physical thing, but then moving up through that in terms of. But I think I think that's one of the things that uh, again, when you are a trainer, you're dealing with a group, and the group tends to bond, and to some extent, you have to keep outside of that group. Absolutely, you, you can't bond with them. Therefore, you need your your that need of social belonging has to be met in some other way. Absolutely. So there aren't necessarily obvious ways of doing so. Mm -hmm. And you can feel quite excluded. So, I mean, in an example like that, uh, mm -hmm. I think that's on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I haven't absolutely. Googled it as you were yes, talking. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> um, you know, what, what's, what kind of solutions come up for that kind of thing? I think just, just simple things like, you know, if you have a, a regular team call, make yourself available for 
to it. I've worked with training groups in the past and they've been scattered all over the country but they have the Monday morning call and so many people dip out and say oh I've got to um, you know I've got to go and do something else I can't really be part of it but they are your group they are your your family at work they're the people who will give you the support and because they're doing a similar role to you will understand what you're going through and can share tips hints advice as to how they've coped with it so by actually opening up and sharing with that group um, is a really good way of actually you feel that you're belonging because you have to to belong you've got to feel that trust and if you're not part of something you can't belong and you can't have that trust yeah I think that's a really important point there is there is no easy answer you do actually have to make the effort Absolutely. and actually reach out to your own support network and that is up from the team you're with and I quite agree that we shouldn't underestimate the importance of that and you can do that these days as well with social media absolutely I mean it's, it's obviously not quite the same thing but even just you know interaction that you might have with colleagues that's, through social media is, can be quite effective absolutely and even if you just you know have a group on you know your colleagues on whatsapp and it's a kind of lunchtime check and how's your day going what problems have you had to to deal with today is it a good group you've got have you got anybody who's particularly challenging you know and if it's if you're working within an organization it might be a trainer who's dealt with that that challenging individual before and can say yeah oh I had them and this is what I did so it's about you know utilizing your sources of help rather than being so isolated and feeling that you are on your own yeah I think that's a really good idea the the whatsapp thing that's very good I travel a lot and quite often outside of um, affordable mobile data plans so that's not always as effective but I think it's a really good idea yeah so a lot of it is about understanding when you've coped well in the past and just being mindful of that and being mindful of what it is that works for you. Absolutely. So there is no, there is in terms of coping styles was the language you used. In terms of that, it's the there is no specific. I keep saying model. Uh, people uh -huh. listeners are going to think I'm desperate to get a model out of this. Um, <laughs> to be honest, there probably is one out there somewhere. But we've what we find is everybody's different, and trying to fit people when it's to do with emotions into a, a model can be quite difficult. Um, you know, I did some reflecting before in terms of, you know, if, does your learning style relate to your coping style? So, you know, if you're a reflector, are you somebody who wants to sit and mull things over? Are you an, if you're an activist, are you somebody who has to go out running to, to, to cope with things? I, I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. I'd be really interested to find out if people's style coping styles do reflect their learning styles because you know is it part of your your makeup and how you how you process things so yeah I, I don't know the answer to that and thinking of things like you know theorist and pragmatist it's harder to kind of think about how that might absolutely how that might manifest itself in reality um an activist yeah you do something or reflect to you just think about stuff absolutely which which may which may also be related to kind of things like MBTI types and other psychological tools might help describe that or how certain types. I think that is actually something that crops up in MBTI is that the way different people deal with stress. Um, I think that that's, so there probably is a link to personality type, definitely. But um, learning style, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I need to think about that. I'm not sure how learning style is directly linked to personality anyway. Yeah, me neither. But then there are other kinds of ways of describing learning styles. There isn't just the sort of Honey Mumford uh, cold thing. There's other ways of thinking about it and things like social learning versus non-social learning. And perhaps social learners are the kind of people who would want to afterwards get together and chat it over. Absolutely. Whereas a, uh, the, the, the non-social learner might prefer reflection time. I don't know. Absolutely. So there's, there's all sorts of ways to explore this further. 
there's a, there's other ways of sort of coping that people do as well. Um, so things like humour is often regarded as a coping mechanism. Does that come into this sort of thinking, or is that a different type of coping? I think it's a different type of coping because, in our experience, humour can also be a mask, and it's you know yeah. it, it, it's good night, it's great, it's about another way of letting off steam. But we are always quite cautious when we come across people who are being particularly humorous because our in our experience we we quite often think well what's that masking you know why are they this is quite a serious topic we're talking about so so why are they being serious about this because it can be almost like a diversion technique we we find well yeah and i guess that's that is the way the way of uh, coping isn't it but but you're talking about coping in a different sense of coping with change or coping with um the issues we've talked about and I think you know, I think it's it's as well as it's you know your resilience of how you how you keep going. We've we've worked with clients in one particular organisation, and their change plan is five years, and it's actually five years of significant change. So it's it's how you cope both you know when when there's a spike and something significant happens, but also over protracted periods of time, so that you know if you are running around constantly up and down the country um, sleeping in odd hotels and things like that the importance of giving yourself a proper break taking care of yourself because you cannot maintain that kind of lifestyle over five or six years and you need to be careful that you just don't simply burn out so in terms of resilience is it again is it the same points but just applied slightly differently so is it around the physical side of things primarily as a starting place at least yeah it's and then again going for the hierarchy i think when it comes to the emotion or the mental side of things you know the resilience is is about how you you cope you're coping with what's going on around you there can be some quite difficult things that you're having to deal with but that it doesn't have a negative impact on your health or well-being so one of the the tools that we use quite often and we do have have a model here is the circle and circle of influence all right yeah and I think that's really useful, particularly if you're having to train out something you maybe don't particularly agree with or maybe something you haven't bought into. And you might have some quite strong emotions around that that obviously you can't can't show in the group. And it's about being able to park that and say, well, you know, it is, it's in my circle of concern. I'm aware of it. It's something that's bothering me. But if I spend my emotional energy dealing with this, I'm not going to get anywhere. Whereas if I can focus on things that I can influence and I can make a change, I get the, the reward of actually taking that a step forward. And I'm not constantly banging my head off a brick wall about something that I can't change. Yeah, I think that that the circle of influence, circle of concern model, I think is is quite undervalued. Absolutely. Actually, I think it is actually really powerful. It's incredibly powerful, and we regularly get people in our training groups saying that's going on my fridge, and rather than actually putting it in a workbook, it's something that we give as a handout so that people can pin it on the wall. I've got it above people's desks, and the quote that we use to go along with that is um, uh, Maya Angelou, and I'm a, I, she's one of my favourites to quote from. And she says, "If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it." And that's not a negative thing. It's saying, you know, it's it's important for you to change the way you think about it because if you don't, you're just going to keep beating yourself up about something that you can't change. So it's you know, it's negative. It's negative energy that's 
that's spent on something that you can't help. Yeah. Do you want to just sort of quickly talk through the, your approach to that model, the circle of concern, circle of influence? Because like I say, I think it is something that people skim by. Everyone's probably read the Stephen Covey book where I think it first reared its head. But it is a, when you actually dig deeper into it, there's actually a lot there. And it's not just a case of the serenity prayer or, you know, don't worry about what you can't change. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot more to it than that and i think it's about finding a practical way of integrating it into to your approach to things and um from my it's something i i've discovered it when i was doing some research for something about five or six years ago and i thought right if i'm going to talk to people about this i need to kind of live it myself and see if it really really works and I, um, I started to, in fact, it's on, on the wall beside me as I speak. And I, I started to look at this and think about how I can use it in my personal life and how I can use it in my work life. And even when you go into a meeting, a project meeting, and there might be another part of the project that's impacting on you, but you're not part of that work stream. So you can talk about it, but you can't actually make the change. And to be able just to um, put it in a place that says, it's there, I've raised it, that's as far as I can go with it, but I'm going to focus my energies on the things I can change, makes a big difference. You know, I worked with one organization in the public sector that I feel find the personalities really challenging because they don't have a, a deadline focus. And I come from a background where you meet your deadlines and it's, you know, it's not a question. And to actually be able to go into that environment and say, well, you know, if they don't meet their deadlines and they don't want to meet their deadlines, that's entirely up to them. But I'm not going to waste my energy and my time worrying about that because, frankly, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, and and the way that affects your well-being, your stress and all of that is really, really important. And I think, I think in our job that is really key because a lot of the times you can't necessarily have the full influence that you want. You can't change everybody's behavior in the training mm. room you can't get the organization to commit to the whole L&D strategy that you'd like them absolutely. to do. Absolutely. Even down to, I think this is a three-day course and you want me to roll it out in half a day. Yeah, and, and, and all stuff like that. I mean, because most of us go in there wanting to, not just wanting to do, deliver a day's training. We actually want to kind of change people's lives. We want to transform the way they think and the way they perform. We want to, you know, be a real catalyst to their careers. And then we're just told to deliver a half-a-day workshop, which we know will probably have a kind of a 2% success rate, you know, or something like that. I'm just making Absolutely. the numbers up. Absolutely. But... It's the sticking plaster mentality slightly as well. But it stresses, it stresses you out. You want to do a really good job. You find that that sort of thing really stressful. And one thing that I found on, I'm going to I'm going to barge in here with an example of mine, if you don't mind, Claire. But um, with on the um, on the circle of influence, circle of concern thing. And this is what I use when I explain it in, in in courses. Is that years and years ago I had a boss and I didn't get on with him. I couldn't stand the guy. And um, he thought I was all right, but he was a very uh, he was very delivery orientated and had no interest in building a relationship. He didn't particularly care if I lived or died as long as I actually got the things done. And I found this very, very difficult to work with because I was unable to build any kind of relationship with him. There was no friendliness. There was no banter. There was nothing like that. It was I, There was no room for manoeuvre or discussion with things that were given to me to do. I just had to had to do them and not question them and deliver them. And I found myself continually trying to build this relationship 
I was continually trying to get on with the guy, continually trying to sort of get him to see things my way, getting to understand the complexity of the work I was doing and why a lot of the things he was asking for weren't quite right. And I was getting stressed out. He was thinking I wasn't delivering. I was thinking the guy was an idiot. Um, I still think that, actually. But that's the point of the story is that essentially what I was doing was focusing on what was in my circle of concern. I was very concerned about that. But actually, I couldn't influence his personality. I couldn't change who he was. Despite best efforts, all I could do was actually start delivering the way he needed me to deliver. And had I done that, then my influence would have grown. Absolutely. As it happened, I spent all this time stressing and trying to do it, trying to get him to see things my way, which, which I was convinced was a more sophisticated understanding. And obviously my influence decreased because I was seen to be not doing what he wanted. I really wish I'd known that at the time. I tell you, it really annoys me still now, <laughs> many years later. Yes. But it applies to that model. So even the way you deal with different mm-hmm. people, you can't you can't change their personality. So what can you do? And that will allow you to become a lot more effective and that allows your influence to grow. So that's my story about circle of influence, circle of concern. I, I just wanted to go back to sort of what we we're saying uh, more or less at the beginning of this, which was you talked about when we are actually delivering messages that we don't like or we're involved in unpopular projects that are actually quite difficult and draining on us, challenging topics and stuff like that. Have you got any more kind of tools or advice with regards to how you can cope with that and keep yourself in that fit space? I think, again, it's about um, sharing and using your support network. What, you know, what is, what, when have people had to deliver similarly challenging topics in the past? How have they managed to do that? What techniques do they have that work for you that you feel comfortable using? Just just don't be isolated because I think, you know, the fact that you're out on the road in different buildings, you know, it's about that overcoming that isolation and that you're not on your own and you don't have to think about these things yourself and you don't have to be a genius and come up with your own solutions and that, you know, maybe a a smarter way and a a less demoralizing way is to, to use those support networks that you've got around you, whether it's the WhatsApp or, or whatever it might be, just to to get that input and, and just take the pressure off yourself because the more pressure you feel about dealing with a situation, the more daunting it can be. It's like that spiral and just trying to make sure that you're you know you can be realistic because one things we do find with our clients is the mo- the moment things get bad, the emotions kick in and they just make things even worse. So if you can if you can be a little bit detached and objective it does make the whole situation so much easier to deal with. So it's really about using those support networks. And uh, again, similar to what we were saying before about reaching out to make sure that you've got those people around you, use their ideas, discuss things, or however it is that you cope personally best with it. The point at the end there you said about being objective. Can you just sort of explain that slightly Uh more? Um, Just in our experience that when when you're dealing with people, the emotions kick in. And I can think of one one chap in particular. He has an amazing skill set and he can't see that. He thinks that, you know, nobody would want to employ him, that he can't do his job, he can't do this, he can't do that. And it's because of the emotions have kicked in. So he's seeing it from an emotional perspective rather than an objective perspective. Um, So one of the tools we do in that situation is get people to do a skills identification exercise and get them to write them all down and see them in black and white in front of them. And suddenly the realization is, well, actually, I've got a lot of things that I can offer. And it's similarly about, you know, sometimes just that exercise of writing it down makes it more realistic for people rather than something that's going around in their head. 
It becomes a lot more rational, I yeah. guess, doesn't it? As you say, it gets away from the emotional side of it. Should I date that guy? Yes, should I date that guy? No, what are your reasons? You know, it's... Is that how you approach dating? <laughs> a pros and cons list? Not something I have to worry about anymore, so... Well, I'm, I'm shocked. I really am. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's the case when using your emotions is perfectly reasonable, to be honest. <laughs> But but you're right. I mean, it's getting away from those kind of self-limiting beliefs and how we beat ourselves up about this stuff, especially when we've just been uh, gone through something negative like redundancy. But also, also, I think this this applies quite well to training because a lot of the time you can be getting negative reactions from the group. You could you can become, I suppose, the target. It's unfortunate this hasn't happened to me that often because I haven't been in the situation that often. But I know from colleagues that they've said that that you can end up being a bit of a target or a bit of a the kind of the lightning rod for negative negative negativity or criticism or cynicism and it is sometimes quite hard to cope with where you become that personification of all their negative feelings That's because it. you create that safe space also because you become the face of management you're delivering something yeah. that management has told them that they have to do whether they want to or not so by extension even though you had nothing to do with that decision because you happen to be the person in in the room you're the person who that um, negative behavior attitude whatever it might be is focused on because you're the only person that they can actually say it face to face with and that can be quite challenging as well um, so one of the things on this topic that we we discuss with our clients as well is self-talk you know so if you find yourself in in a, in a situation what you know? What is that? What is that little voice saying in your head? Is it saying I can't cope with it, or I can cope with it? And that you know, having positive self-talk um, and, and an understanding of your self-talk can really help you cope with lots of situations. And even if your self-talk's just saying, "Here we go again," I'm having to deal with this. I don't like dealing with this, but I know I can deal with this because I dealt with it last week, last month, last year that's so much more powerful than the little voice that says, oh my goodness, they're all getting upset with me, how am I going to deal with this? So just, just your whole approach to the situation you find yourself in can, can make your, your ability to deal with it so much easier. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's a really interesting point, actually, because self-talk can be quite comforting, and it become, it's what we're used to. We're used to having a, a, a dialogue about with ourselves uh, that kind of represents our self-image, and it's quite comforting to go back to that, even when it's negative. So taking a mm -hmm. rational approach and trying to turn that into something that's actually more helpful is, mm -hmm. is well, it's a really important part of being a professional in that situation. That's it, because we prepare, our, we prepare our materials, we prepare our presentation, but do we prepare ourselves for the, the actual obstacles that we might have to deal with in the case of, of the training that you're going to roll out that day? And I think there's a bit in terms of your preparation about thinking about, okay, what am I going to have to overcome? What challenges might I face because of the topic, the group, the location? And how am I going to equip myself to deal with those? Because we'll have fantastic materials. Our handouts will all be ready. The PowerPoint presentation will be amazingly slick. But have we put the same amount of preparation into ourselves for our ability to yeah. cope with what's thrown at us? Yeah, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? And I don't think we do. And maybe once, but maybe not considering the, the number of days we may be asked to sort of stand up and perform. And it is a performance. I use that word deliberately. And um, day after day, week after week. So it, resilience comes into it. And you do need these things like, as you said, eating properly. I'm feeling slightly guilty about that one, having <laughs> spent far too many lunches eating a pasty on a train <laughs> or whatever between things. And But, um, you know, it's important, these things, you know, how you pace yourself and, and look after yourself. That's it. And even simple things like, you know, there's a balance between being a team player 
and being helpful and if somebody's else standing in but you can't turn up to be the one who's always backfilling for somebody else there has to be a point when you get that time at your desk that you can be a bit more structured and you can look after yourself that way rather than hearing off around the country again when really you need that break so yeah and not becoming that person because I think quite often in a team people take on a certain mantle and that you know Jimmy's the one who will go and run after this and pick that up or don't oh I don't have to worry about it because I know Jimmy will do it and you know you don't want to become that person you want to be seen as somebody who's a real team player who does their bit who covers for their colleagues but not to the extent that it has a negative impact on on yourself because if you get you know if you don't look after yourself you you can't perform you can't do your own work let alone take on you know somebody to help somebody else out yeah and over committing in a sort of desperate desire to please mm -hmm. and saying yes to everything is not really very helpful and it's interesting because we, we we do tend to do that to some extent because we are naturally interested in people Absolutely. and that's why we're in this business but at the same time um we kind of don't practice what we preach because we we are telling people how to be assertive and all these kind of things and manage their workloads manage their stress work-life balance and then we don't do it ourselves and i think that's almost it in a nutshell john is practice what you preach you know these techniques you tell them about um to other people but actually you need to live them yourselves and your life will be a lot better because of it because you wouldn't be um, asked to train them out if people didn't know they could add benefit yeah well like with a lot of these things it's not about a knowledge gap it's just about a habit gap absolutely and we have certain habits some of which are destructive but maybe comfortable mm -hmm. and just you can indulge that to an extent perhaps but there's only an extent and there does come a point where you can't and you actually have to adopt new habits which are healthier in, in a mental absolutely. and physical sense absolutely and that's there's only one way of doing it and that and that's a bit awkward at first but it's going through that learning process which we should know pretty well by now <laughs> exactly well thank you for that claire is there anything else you'd like to add no i think it's brought nicely back around to to where we started so i think that's probably quite a good place to stop so Okay, well, thank you very much, and it's an interesting conversation, and not the, not the sort of thing we talk about often enough, I think, in our business when we are travelling all the time and in these sort of quite lonely positions, so and often in quite a stressful situation. So it's a good conversation to have and a good a good timely reminder, I think. So thank you very much. Thank you. So that was me talking to Claire Simmons. A bit of a different kind of topic this week, but I think one that's quite interesting and quite useful. And as trainers that or learning development people that are out on the road all the time, that are always kind of externals and they're quite often giving difficult messages, quite often put in difficult situations, it's very important that we do take care of ourselves. So take care of yourself and see you next time.